Welcome to Unconditional Love Fellowship with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is webinar episode 110, Keep Yourself. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org. And now, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And I want to share with you tonight some thoughts from a paragraph in that little tiny book, the letter of Jude, which comes just before the book of Revelation. And I, I say it's a paragraph, but I want to take um, one sentence out of that paragraph, though trying to see it in context of the paragraph and the whole book. I believe that it is of supreme importance that we hear the message of this book uh, at this time in, in our life. We are living in perilous times, and the church is inhaling the poisonous gas of legalism in too many of its areas. And that's what Jude is speaking about. That's why he wrote this little tiny letter. And then he gives us his word as to what do we do then in the middle of a corrupt and rotten world, in the midst of a church that is being infiltrated, what do we do? And so he wrote this letter. And I, I want to read the first part uh, of the letter and then jump to the end, which is where I'm going to look. Okay, um, he begins by saying it's Jude and so on. And then he said uh, in verse 3, he's telling them why he's writing the letter. Beloved, I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation. I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Okay. So he says there was a certain faith, a certain body of truth that, that was our faith in God. And it was once delivered to the saints, once and for all. But he said that there's been inroads to that. And that's why he's writing the letter. And so he said then in verse 20, now he's wrapping up the letter. And he says, you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. That is the faith that he began talking about. The faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Now he says, building yourself up on that most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And out of all of that, and that rather lengthy introduction, I want to look at those words, keep yourselves in the love of God. So in the middle of all the corruption and the lies that are bombarding believers, he says, your response to all of that is to be building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and this is it. 
keeping yourselves in the love of God. And, and I think just to say that, um, I, I hope it does to you what it did to me. It's an arresting phrase. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. We, we speak at length, and correctly so, that it, Jesus not only saves us, but he keeps us. He is our keeper. He is our shepherd. And every other word spoken that tells us plainly that he keeps us. And yet here it says, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. What does that mean? Well, first of all, let me very quickly say keeping yourselves in the love of God, in the love of God. And, and do I need to, to explain what that means? The limitless, the unconditional love of God that is poured out to us and in us in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the very incarnation of that love that he is love himself come to us in order to lay hold upon us and not only save us from our sin, but that that love now is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The love of God that has come to us in Jesus. And in Jesus, it says the Father has not only saved us, but with Jesus, in giving us Jesus with him, shall freely give us all things. The love of God. The love of God, of course, it includes the forgiveness of God, which a better word, I believe, in the New Testament is release. We are released from the guilt of our sin, released from its shame, released away from it, so, so that there is no more connection between us and sin. Love has spoken complete and absolute forgiveness to you and I. And not only so, love was not content merely to release us from sin, but he is only satisfied in that he has brought us into the Holy Trinity family so that we're brothers and sisters one to another and brothers and sisters to Jesus, the eldest brother, for he is God who became one of us so that he might call us his brothers and sisters and we might call him our elder brother and together with him declare that Father, Abba, Daddy is our Father in the family, united with Jesus and now knowing the delight of the Father toward us that we saw expressed in Jesus so that heaven is open to you and I and the Father says of you, my beloved child, in whom my soul is well pleased. The love of God. The love of God is, I've said it already, the Holy Spirit poured out in our hearts. The Holy Spirit taking up residence within us 
so that we now, this mortal body, is called in Scripture the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And from within us, the Holy Spirit is the witness that we are the sons and daughters of God and the Father is our Daddy God, is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I tell you, this dimension of the love of God in which we live and move and dwell is actually the subject of many of the Psalms. But we tend to miss it sometimes because it doesn't spell it right out. And, and so, it, what, what about Psalm 91? Uh, dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Secret place. That, that's the love of God. We are dwelling in the secret place. In a world gone wild... We have a secret place. We know the love that God is toward us. And in that love we dwell, we rest, we hope. And he goes on to say that we dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. And you might have heard me speak about that. It's a fascinating phrase, under the shadow. It means that you have come in a covenant relationship under the protection of the person in whose house you have found um, hospitality. And, and so once you are there, that owner of the house will protect you with life he will feed you, he will give you his bed, and he will never ask you to leave. Uh, it's a tremendous phrase, and it says that we have come under the shadow, under the protection, under the covenant provision, and he has given his life for us. It's this love that God is, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, the love that has become incarnate in Jesus. This is what he's talking about. Keep yourselves in the love of God. But notice, it's very important to notice this little thing. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Yes, I know it's a very small word, but it, it, it speaks so directly to what we're looking at here. Keep yourselves, keep yourselves in the love of God. In is one of the most important words in the New Testament. Look at all the times in Christ, in the Spirit. And now keep yourselves in the love of God. And the, the phrase, well, let me put it this way. Whenever in, I-N, is mentioned in, in the New Testament, it has the idea always attached of being inside. I suppose that's true uh, of English too, but especially so in the language of the New Testament. It, it, is, it's, it speaks of being inside something, or, or it, it means the sphere in which we live. It means the atmosphere that we breathe. It means the source of our life. We live in, you say, 
as human beings, we live in this atmosphere. And if it wasn't exactly what it is in terms of the gases that comprise it, then we'd all be dead. This is the sphere in which we can breathe. This is the sphere in which our whole body functions. It's the idea of this word in. You are in this atmosphere. You're inside. And when it is used in this expression, in the love of God, could, could I put it, we live inside the circle of the Holy Trinity. We live in the sphere of the Holy Trinity. We are inside God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the circle in which we live. And another way you could look at that, if that's the circle in which I live, that is the center, the, the, the center of me, where I find my center, where I find my life. If you want to pursue this very fascinating thought, you can go to the first epistle of John, which is just a, a couple of blocks away from Jude. And, and there you, you find John uses that expression of dwelling in God. And those who dwell in God dwell in love. And he, and he develops that through his five chapters. And so th this, have you ever thought of the Christian life like this? Christian life is not, oh, you've heard me say it so many times, it's not just about forever. You see, somewhere back there, the church made salvation a matter of destination. And therefore, the call of the gospel became, where will you spend eternity? Where's your destination? Whereas the entire burden of the scripture, specifically the New Testament, is not destination. It is relationship. The entire gospel, the good news, is that we have been called to and we have been brought into relationship with God the Father through Jesus the Son. Now all that made real to us by God the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in. Keep yourself in this circle of love. Keep yourself in the love of God. Now this word keep, uh, I suppose its real and original meaning, although it's still present in English, it's kind of slipped out of the main meaning of the word. So let me tell you what it means, keep. It, it's, it means to watch over. It, it would be if I handed you something of great worth, something so precious, and I said, now keep this. That would bring out what this word means. It means watch over it. Don't let it out your sight, you see. Don't, don't ever just take it for granted that you have this. Don't just stick it in your pocket. Keep it. Keep it, you see. It's, it's precious. That's the idea. Watch over it. And so an extension of that would be the word God. If some precious thing would need God. If you put a diamond worth millions of dollars uh, out for the public to see you surrounded by gods. 
because it's precious, of great worth. You're watching over it, but it's extended the idea of guard this. Keep. That's all in this word, keep. It means something has been entrusted to you. Now, watch over it. Guard it. Guard it as the most precious gift you've ever received. Guard it as the most precious of possessions. That's exactly what that means. And he says, let me repeat it. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Or now are we in a position to expand on that? Because he he is saying, you are in the love of God. Or can you comprehend that? You are in the love of God as we walk in air. As fish swim in sea, so we live in the love of God. As you live in the love of your husband, your wife, as you live in the love of your parents, so that that is the circle of your life. There is no other way to define your life except within that circle. So, ultimately and absolutely, we have been given the gift of dwelling inside the love of God so that that love is the air of our spirits. This is what keeps us alive. This is what has shown us the reality of true life. The love of God. This is the most precious possession being entrusted to us. See all of that. Now he says, watch over that. Watch over it. Guard it. It's been entrusted to you. Keep it. Think about that. He said, in these perilous times, there's only one thing Satan is after, and that is to take from you your rest in the love of God, to take away your consciousness of being in the love of God. And so it comes, it, like it's a staccato here. So you build yourself up. You pray in the Holy Spirit and you keep yourself this bam, 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 urgent command. He only wrote one chapter, did this chap, Jude, but he's going to use every word. He's saying this is no time to think about this. He said, do it. Keep yourself. It's an urgent command. He's not suggesting it might be a jolly good idea. He's not saying, give it a try, give it a try. No, it's a command. And in Jude is the Holy Spirit commanding us. Love commands us. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Interesting here. If it says keep, meaning that something has been entrusted to you, then it means that you indeed do have 
the love of God, that you are now in the love of God, and you do now have this knowing relationship with the Father and with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. It means that you have that now, doesn't it? Because it wouldn't use the word keep if you hadn't got there yet. Do do you follow me? It doesn't say do everything in your power to get into the love of God. No, no, no. The, the, The sentence assumes that you are in the love of God. You are. Oh, think about that. Especially if you come from some legalistic background who never seem to know they're anywhere. Um, this This is not something he says you've got to get to. He doesn't say you've got to pay the price to have this. In the verse, in in a sense, he's assuming with great wonder you've already been entrusted with this relationship. You've been given this dwelling. As Adam was put into the paradise of Eden, so the Holy Spirit has taken you and placed you in this unspeakable, glorious paradise of the love of God towards you. That's where you live. That's where your bed is. That's where you sleep. That's where your kitchen table is. This is where you have breakfast. This is where you live. And when you leave the house to go to the office or the factory or wherever, you carry the paradise with you. This is where you have this, else it would not say keep it. You have this. You have this. This is not a destination to arrive at one day when you have the ultimate experience and the greatest maestro lays hands on you. No, now, at this moment, as you listen to me This is where you live. This is your place of abode. This gift, sheer gift, for you did nothing to earn this privilege. This gift has been entrusted to you. So nowhere in this verse do we find religious anxiety, you know, The constant wondering if you're there. I don't know about, you know, how you look at church on Sunday, but I know too many persons who go to a building on Sunday and every Sunday they go trotting forward to the front to try and get something that the preacher is convinced that they don't have. Only the tragedy is they were doing this last week and the week before and the week before. They never stop trying to get started. They they are like my children were when they were very small and we were traveling cross-country in the car and it was this terrible non-stop until we had to definitely stop it where the children were saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? They, they never had a sense of getting. It was always, are we there? Are we there? 
and and I, I speak to believers, stop that nonsense. You say, but I, I don't know if I've paid the price yet. Of course you haven't paid the Jesus paid the price. This is given to us as gift. Have I dedicated myself enough? Have I given my all? Bless your heart. He has taken you as you are, filled you, and life is just a continual response to him. And yes, we are forever giving all of ourselves to all that we discover of him, and that is fresh every minute, every day. No, keep it, because he's already put you there. That's what it's saying. We are now dwelling inside the love of God by God's love initiative. It was his desire, his initiative that laid hold upon us in Jesus to place us inside his love and call us his children. It was he who pours his spirit within us to witness to that and to assure us of that truth. Nor is this saying, because I know some of the above would love to think it, but when it says keep yourself in the love of God, it is not saying that there's a danger you'll fall out of the love of God. That's not what it's saying here. This is speaking very positively that we, we who have been by sheer gift put into the love of God, now we continually open ourselves up to that love, continually focus our heart eyes upon that love and just <laughs> abandon ourselves into that love. As a, when, when you fling yourself on a bed after a toilsome day, you just rest into it. Keep yourself there. The gift has been given. Now let the rest of your life be an opening up in order to continually receive the limitless fullness of what that love is about. Jesus called this ongoing, ever yielding to, ever opening to the love of God. He called it abiding in. Read it in John 14, 15, especially 15 abiding in and another word he used in that same series of chapters is continue in my love you know and this is not an illustration really because we're talking about something far higher but but the the person that you might say you fell in love with that that is that person who stirred your heart well that stirring of the heart that at least momentarily has changed your life, you then continue in that. And you further continue in that until marriage. And marriage is plunging into that and resting in the fact that you are covenantally bound to each other. And then you continue in that through anniversaries and anniversaries and on your 50th and 70th anniversary, you are still keeping that. It's the most precious thing you have. 
the love of your wife, the love of your husband, and you watch over it and you keep it. I say, that might help us understand what this is saying, but th this is far higher. And the covenant bond that comes from the Father through the blood of Jesus is stronger than any covenant we could make with a human being. But that's the idea. So this is not a fearful scripture that if we don't do this, we're going to get lost all over again. Rather, he says, you have been given a gift. Watch it, pursue it, keep it, you see. Continue, let that love mature until what the Bible calls perfect love. Perfect love is love that has come to maturity. Love that, that has lost all its anxiety and now just rests. Pursue this love. Keep it as it grows, increases, abounds within you. God, everything that would steal from you, that rest. God, watch over, because from all angles, from your flesh through the accuser, Satan, this is the only agenda that darkness has, and that is to steal from you, blind you to the reality of the love that God has from you. They can never take that love away, but they can blind you. They can distract you to the nth degree. So keep yourself in the love of God. Now, if I'm going to say keep yourself in the love of God, I have to say that we do that through the Holy Spirit. This is not an appeal to your willpower. Please understand that because I know I'm talking to people that would say they have a weak will. Well, that's got nothing to do with it. You keep yourself in the love of God through the Holy Spirit. That's why it's in the context. Did you hear as I read this, this common salvation, this faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, and then, as he said at the end, building yourself up on that most holy faith. So what, what's the most holy faith? Well, I've, I've said it's that love that became flesh in Jesus that arose from the dead, ascended and carries us with him in the Spirit. But then he says, praying in the Holy Spirit, just to know that. No, you must pray what otherwise would be dead doctrine. Pray it into your life and pray it into your life. Praying in the Holy Spirit, in the strength of the Spirit, in the persistence of the Spirit, the perseverance of the Spirit, the Spirit giving you the strength. That's when he says, keep yourself in the love of God the Holy Spirit, the strength of the Spirit to accomplish is right in the middle of that. It's the Holy Spirit, Romans 5 and 5. It's the Holy Spirit who pours the love of God into our heart like, like a mighty river pouring into our heart. That's the image that is there. It's the Holy Spirit that has given you the assurance that you are indeed a child of the Father. 
And if you doubt any of this, why are you listening to me? It's because the Holy Spirit has brought us together. (laughs) Please, never count that a small thing. You are in the sound of my voice because the Holy Spirit has set that up. How can we love? It says, Colossians 1, 9, 10, 11, that we we love by by the power and, and the almightiness of the Holy Spirit's presence within us. Yeah, we we only can keep ourselves in the love of God through the Holy Spirit. Now, how can I say this? I don't want any of you to think that the Holy Spirit must always be a tremendous feeling or some overwhelming experience. I believe in both of those, by the way. I believe in feeling the presence of God. I believe in experiences of and with God. But being filled with the Spirit most of the time is something that I can be being filled with the Spirit while I'm doing my work in the domestic scene of my home. I can be being filled with the Spirit in my office, in the factory, in my school, college. You understand me? Being filled with the Spirit is, again, the simple opening of my heart. He has commanded me to be filled with the Spirit, and so I walk into my day saying, I'm open to your Holy Spirit. What's up between us today? What are we going to do today? I'm open for anything that's on your mind. And as life happens through the day, that's my instant fallback. I need your strength. I need your enablement to love. I need your enablement to... I need your wisdom or whatever. This is life in the Holy Spirit and whatever I I would say beyond this about keeping ourselves in the love of God, it's always got to be in the strength of the Holy Spirit. But back to the fact it's an urgent command. Why is it an urgent command? Because I say the flesh, that, that is, well, literally my flesh, it's my mortality, it's everything that makes up me, it's my, my brain cells, it's It's all that makes up me the moment I think of that as being independent and cut off from God. As if in this flesh, this mortality, I can handle life. Or to put it in the words of Satan in Genesis 3, I can be as God. My flesh is where it's at, man. See, my my flesh, that's how I feel, that, that's the standard by which I live. My, my flesh, how I evaluate myself, and so on. My flesh continually seeks to go off at a tangent, away from the love of God. And Satan, and, and his name means the accuser, the accuser of God and the accuser of you and I, This is really... Every temptation that you might have really comes back to this. Did you realize that? We we might see many different temptations, many different trials, but every one of them has this one thing in its sights. 
and that is that we forget the love of God the whispers and I mean that because it is it's a whisper we we hear it in our soul and we can't remember when it started it was a whisper that gradually got our attention but we don't know when it started it's just a whisper there and a suggestion that is inserted into your mind and done so subtly we think it's our thoughts a suggestion that's whispered into our feelings so that we find ourselves feeling in a certain way about life and have you noticed all those suggestions whether in mind or in feeling they are all subtly not always blatantly but they're accusing us of not being worthy to be inside the love of God they accuse God by the suggestion that if you really loved us why do you let this happen to us and, and the feelings that arise within us that we are alone and right now God is not acting in love toward us oh you're following me aren't you this is what happens it's, it's that pull away from or you can be religious you can go to church you can read your bible you can do a lot of things but just get away from this rest this insistent rest in the love of god so keep yourself yes because faith on many occasions faith is steadfastly standing against what appears to be logic standing against genuine feelings that you're having standing against what you might call common sense standing against appearances with, with the knowledge there's more to this than I can see right now standing against the opinions of your forefathers to generations standing against the present opinion and the words of the masses of people around you and sometimes the people around you in the church and as you stand against that all of that because it's all speaking in terms that we're abandoned we're alone in the cosmos and and God doesn't love us he's not bad but he doesn't love us you see and we stand against that in whichever way it comes and we declare the truth and we rest in the truth and we give praise to the God who never leaves us forsakes us who, who ceases in his love you see the love that God has toward you is the ultimate offense to the flesh yes you heard me to the flesh this this wannabe me that isn't me but the wannabe me is offended to the core at the very suggestion that we can do nothing to earn or deserve this love that is toward us that's offensive to the flesh 
it's offensive that God is in his very essence love and that he has given then his own very self to us when we neither deserved or earned nor could deserve or earn. I say that. In fact, to say that I am living this life of rest in a relationship with the Father by sheer gift and not by the presenting of the resume of my goodness, that is sheer madness to the flesh. Stupid! Let, let me put this very carefully. You might have to listen to this two or three times. The flesh, and behind the flesh, Satan. The flesh wants us to hear me. The flesh, slash Satan, wants us to keep our love for him rather than keep in his love for us. Did you hear me? Because that first thing I said does sound very spiritual and there'll be 10,000 sermons on it this weekend. Listen, the flesh slash Satan wants us to keep our love for him rather than what the scripture says which is keep us in his love for us what what is religion in its most subtle form it is that continual labor and toil and religious sweat of trying to love God enough. That's what I said, the flesh, Satan wants us to keep, or think we're keeping, our love for him. That results in all the labor, the toil, the promises, the dedications, the doing, doing, doing in order to say, I do love you, God. I love you. I love you. Whereas this says, no, you keep in his love. Because it's not about us. It's about him. That's why 1 John says, we love because he first loved us. Any love that we have in response to his love, any love we have one for another, arises from his love to us. So we keep ourselves in his love to us, the love of God, not a continual headache, migraine headache of trying to love God enough. Oh, you don't drift toward this. No. This is a command, as I said, an urgent command. It's something we choose. It's the intention of our will. And sometimes with all our believing friends not understanding us, thinking we've gone a little crazy. Because you see, this has been our diet for years that we have to love God more. 
the scripture says, keep yourself in his love for you. The rest will take care of itself. You trying to love God more produces nothing but frustration, religious anger at yourself. Whereas keeping yourself in his love for you produces rest and a responsive delight in this incredible God. You see, this that I've attempted to speak of in the last few minutes, this is spiritual warfare. There, there is spiritual warfare where we deal with the demonic. I mean, f- straight out, you deal with the demonic. But until you have been in this spiritual warfare, where, in fact, this is what is spoken of a lot more than the other you know, the whole of, what is it, Romans 8, Galatians 3, it it says the Holy Spirit is at war with the flesh, and the flesh is at war with the Spirit. That, That this is the essence of what Satan goaded the human race into in Genesis 3. You shall be as God, independent. And if it comes to religion, well, you're the ones who find the strength to love God. This idea of resting in him who loves you. No, cut that out, you see. Now, spiritual warfare is to face that subtle word of the flesh and to recognize, and sometimes many times a day, but it's no labor to do so, to recognize and to put your heels in. There have been times in my life when faced with situations where I am literally bombarded in my head with thoughts. Yes, I, I talk about it. warfare. You, you, you've got a thousand flesh drones around your head firing their missiles at you. And all of it says God has forsaken you. This time shows that he's not the God of love you think. And it's coming, and it's coming. And I have had to get alone. I'm thinking of one occasion when I pulled off the road. It was in Canada, Route 53 in Ontario. And I pulled off the road into a byway, And there I shouted against all logic, against all feeling, against all appearances, against everything everybody says. I declare that God is love and so loved me that came to me in Jesus Christ. I had to shout it because there was such a din, it's like zoo at feeding time in my head. I had to shout above it. I had to declare the creative word in the spirit world. Well, that's spiritual warfare. Keep yourself in the love of God. I will not be taken aside to engage even in debate with the thoughts that say he's abandoned you, he doesn't love you, he doesn't love you as much as he loves so-and-so. No, that's spiritual warfare. And if for some season you might fall into those lies, well, don't hide 
as if God is mad at you, run boldly to him and say, I royally messed up. But I come knowing the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from sin and I nestle down in your love that has never failed. You know, we keep ourselves in the love of God by seeing this love at work, not only in ourselves, but in others. Let me underline it. We, we keep ourselves in the love of God by choosing to see his love at work in others. Have you realized, I suppose this could be another hour, but we see ourselves, we see ourselves in terms of how we see others. When our own seeing of God's love at work in our lives begins to dim, what happens? But we begin to see others as people that God is angry with and disgusted with and God is rejecting them. And we freeze frame them in this as outside the domain of God's love. How we see ourselves is reflected in how we see others. How we see others can tell us a lot about ourselves. And that's why the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Notice that. That that's not merely a request for our forgiveness, but rather it is saying that we are the kind of people that see God at work in others as he's working in us. The fact that God has loved and forgiven us means we love and forgive those who are indebted to us. And to pray the Lord's Prayer is saying, this is the kind of person I am and this is what I want. We keep ourselves in the love of God by passing all the events and happenings of life, the past when we think about them as well as the present, and we pass them through his love. Let his love make sense of them. The flesh would seek to pass his love through the events. Do you see what I mean? Something is happening to me that I don't understand. So I, I pass that through the love of God. The only anchor that I have right now is I am assured of the love of God. So this event that's happening, and I don't understand it, but I pass it through the love of God. I give thanks to God that he is in the middle of this circumstance and he is working love. working with me, working in me, working through me, working for and around me. Love, love, love. I pass the circumstance through that. The flesh would take God's love and pass it through the circumstance and judge the love of God by the circumstance. Did you get me? I'm saying we judge the circumstance by God's love. 
the flesh would judge God's love by the circumstance. Saying, well, if God is love, why, why on earth does this happen to me? How could a God of love do this? And on and on we go. Angry at God for allowing this. And sullen and resentful. A whole life becomes a stench. You know how it is. Because we've passed the love of God through the event. We've judged his love by what's happening. Instead of judging what's happening by his love. We could say the same of ourselves. We, we evaluate ourselves and say, the kind of person I am is not worthy of the love of God. That, that's... No, we're believing in our self-evaluation, both of circumstance and of ourselves, instead of resting in this incredible love that challenges every event and all that we are and all that we do. I, I have got so much to say here and I, I pray the Lord will make it plain to you everything I've said. Keep yourself in the love of God. If, if there is fear that rules in areas of your life, you know then you've yet to know the love of God in fullness or as it says in 1 John perfect love or mature love love that has been kept love that has been continued in brings you to the point where there's no more fear left for perfect love mature love casts out all fear and well love just does that but there's another reason um, not only that love just does that but love God love is in this present moment fear is always in the future fear cannot live in the light of now fear is always what will happen what if that happens supposing that happens and playing mental movies of all possibilities of things that could happen the love of God stays right in this now moment and now at this now moment you are the child of God and you are in his embrace and he has said he'll never leave you nor forsake you and he undergirds you, upholds you. He's a shield about you, the lifter of your head. And you move into the next moment of now and now and now. You can handle one moment at a time inside the love of God. But the moment we go off into a fear-filled cosmic loneliness of a tomorrow that doesn't exist into scenarios that probably will never be. No, that's anxiety. That's fear. And when you find expressions of unlove in your actions and on your tongue and in your attitudes, know that you still have yet to keep and open up towards perfect love because, see, unforgiveness 
really, if you think about it, when you will not forgive another, do you know anything of God's forgiveness toward you? When you gossip and shred another's character, do you know the God who is love? When you envy another's life, which is to say, I don't like my own, is your life filled with the love of God, you see? And of course, yes, the love of God is there, but you have become distracted and sometimes blinded. Keep yourself in the love of God. Don't go into this swamp. And as I've already said, anger at life, angry at the way life is, which really, according to the whole scripture, is anger at God, that, that he's served you up this life. No. Open your eyes and see that God is love at this very moment and rest in his love. And on and on we could go. Look, keep yourself in the love of God brings you back to Ephesians 5, 18, 19. You know, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and songs the Spirit gives you as you give praise to this God of love. And in all things, everywhere, under all circumstances, giving thanks to God. Well, there it is. That, that to me, is your greatest armor in the days in which we live. I pray the Holy Spirit will make it plain to you.